Hello and welcome to The Regrettable Century. We are back, just the boys, the originals, Chris, Jason, and Kevin. Hello. And uh, we're here to talk about a topic that is receiving <laughs> receiving uh, m- like much discussion on the internet, and that is patriotic socialism. More attention than it deserves. Absolutely. Tons more attention than it deserves. And we're going to decide whether or not this is something that we should be uh, afraid of or not, or whether it's something that we should embrace. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> it's neither. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this a lot. This this concept has it's emerged several times. And like the first couple of times, my thinking about it was just like, oh, that's some internet nonsense and just don't think about it. Just moved on. Right. But then um, recently I've been having conversations with people I've organized with for years and some of them are very, very concerned about this phenomenon. So that basically what I'm saying is that it's been being treated more and more as though it's not just an internet phenomenon or whatever. Right. And my very first position on it is is no longer just that it's barely something to be concerned with, but it's also whatever. The concerns are, uh, well, there's too much concern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so part of the reason why I've heard that we should take this seriously is because like people like like has right or Caleb Maupin, uh, they have a lot more followers on Twitter than like good left commentators have, uh, which I don't think necessarily translates into any kind of like real world clout or any any kind of uh, actual political organizing capability because it's right. Honestly, I still think I like I'm less so of the opinion that it's just something to ignore and brush off and more so now I think it's like like there there has to be a better way to talk about this subject than the incredibly dumb way that the patriotic <laughs> socialists talk about it mm-hmm. or just the incredibly shrill way that most leftists talk about it, right? Yep. Exactly. That's a very good way to put it. It's the dichotomy between shrill and dumb. And we're trying to transcend that dichotomy. Right. <laughs> Alpha bung that shit. One very interesting uh, part of this is that respectable publications have taken up opposite positions. So like, for example, like in the nation, you can find arguments for or against. And in Jacobin, arguments against. And the Morningstar, the Communist Party of Great Britain, it's arguments for and so on. So like, there's a lot of nuance involved. Some of it is actually a genuine, a genuine discussion about real things. And then there's the other, the, the I guess, the MAGA communists or whatever, the, uh, the Caleb, Caleb Maupin types, which I'm, yeah. I don't know, I guess I'm just kind of hoping we just don't really, we don't really address them too much. I, th- I think that like, it's, it's worth addressing in as much as we should point out that they are just basically the left's version of the based groiper, right. you know? Yeah. The, okay. Uh, that, that, that's all it is. Like there is, they are a reaction to the, the, the same leftists that we fucking hate too. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it is, it's the, but in a brain du- dead way yeah. of reacting to it. Yeah. The dumbest way to go about it. It's rather than like, uh, having a dialectical view of the way that politics and culture works, they go, well, since I don't like the most annoying people in the whole world, 
I'm going to take their opposite positions. Right. You know? Exactly. You take uh, – exactly. It's, it's, it's like the two sides of this dichotomy that we're talking about. They co-create each other. They just take each other's position and invert it and, right. and claim that as their position because they're angry about the other side of that that yeah. um that spread or whatever um instead of uh you know getting at the like what the, the thing that the, that the other both of them get wrong is this um uh like insistence that cultural affectations are the essence of what it means to do politics right you know and i and i think a lot of what both of them are well, I think a lot of what why both of them are uh, uh, why we're aware of both of them, why we're talking about <laughs> them is because they, they are both functions of the social media, uh, you know, ecosystem and the social media algorithms and the way that the attention economy uh, functions on social media, that it produces these spikes uh, in this, the dumbest way possible, attention, yeah. uh, sending attention to the worst possible positions, you know? Right. Yes. Yeah. It's just like what, uh, Seymour points out in the, the Twittering machine, whatever, whatever co- gets clicks drives the algorithm to bring attention to it and controversy garners the most clicks. So we're going to see an elevated level of dumb shit takes and people freaking out about them uh, on our Twitter feeds and wherever else. And that's not to say that there aren't like a lot of these people, but I would say that these people are not politically serious people. Like most of the, most of the people that follow Caleb Maupin on fucking Twitter or whatever. Um, Right. You know, it's sort of like the alt-right phenomenon that all but completely dissolved once Donald Trump turned out to be just a regular neocon. It's, it's just a bunch of people, you know, clacking away at their keyboards that don't really actually have any sort of involvement in any political work at all. And they're probably like a lot of them, probably not all of them, like 14 year olds, you know, or at very best, like, you know, in their early twenties, people that grow out of things uh, mm-hmm. as, as quickly as they grow out of their like shirt sizes or whatever. Yeah. And almost pre- uh, certainly predominantly and in, in, in any case, people who are, you know, complete shut-ins and have not and will not ever right. uh, construct any sort of durable organizational form of any sort whatsoever. And I think that's true of, again, of both sides, Yeah, you know, the, the yeah. that's just, as, that's as true of the, what for whatever the MAGA communist types, as well as the people who are like publishing on things that are called like a red dawn something about how this is a fascist plot to like undermine the proletarian movement. Like in both cases, I just want, I just want them all to shut up. However, because this is a phenomenon, I guess it might be worth kind of looking through what arguments exist around it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Cause I think that there are, you know, decent ones on both sides. And so rather than just saying, Oh, both sides are kind of right. I guess would like to come to some, something more of a, like a conclusion. Uh, Cause yeah. I don't want, I don't want the conclusion to be, Oh, I am a patriotic socialist or patriotic socialism is fascist. I want, I, yeah. The conclusion has to be something different than both of those. Just to clear things up. I am a Czechoslovak nationalist. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a nationalist for a country that doesn't exist anymore. 
and only the socialist incarnation of it. Yeah, which Just, is what that's was a the joke, argument guys. that um that w- isn't that wasn't that like one of the main arguments that has was using in that one thing, that one video we watched that his oh yeah, uh, yeah. one of the big points he made was that socialism anywhere it's ever been successful it's always been sorry my dog's barking Scotty thank you baby um anywhere it's ever been successful it's been tied to um to nationalism and nationalist movements uh while ignoring the you know dynamics of uh imperialism and first world nationalism versus third world nationalism right well i mean and right because because that's true but it's also the case like if you google um like a picture of eugene debs you you could find many pictures of debs giving a speech to workers you know he's so he's talking about like a socialism and the brotherhood of man or whatever and there are american flags all around him yeah and he was running not, for president of the united states right <laughs> right funnily so, enough they have american flags there exactly <laughs> so i think there has to be a way of like acknowledging that without um you know wearing an american flag as a cape is a always going to be a bad look you know always cringe yeah. <laughs> well so like i I have always been probably consider me like to the right on this issue. Like I think burning an American flag is fucking dumb, right? Like first yeah. of all, you've got to go buy an American flag and then you've got to burn it at both. Like this seems like those, those two uh, political statements cancel each other out. Right. Yeah. No, but like, it's just, we want to organize the working class in the United States. And I'm not saying that we need to do it while holding American flags and preaching patriotism. I do think, however, that there is a, a certain amount of making yourself relatable that does need right. it. I, I'm not talking, yeah, I'm not exactly. calling for normie socialism. Like, like uh, there was a big debate about that, whether or not we should. Uh, was it Angela Nagel? Uh, well, n- n- well, not just Angela Nagel. She was one of the people involved in it. But I mean, there, there was a lot fewer people that were a lot less detestable to the majority of the left that uh, were basically just point out the DSA video, the incredibly fucking cringe DSA convention video. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and say like, look, this is not normal. We need to be more normal if we want to appeal to people, yeah. right? We need a more normal socialism. And I'm not saying that, but I do think that we should not try actively to make ourselves less relatable. Right. Yeah. Defending trans people's right to exist, uh, right. people's uh, right to get married, stuff like that. That's not something that we should shy away from. Right. But at the same time, like burning an American flag or protesting naked in front of children, shit like that. You know, that's not right. going to be helpful. Right. I think that's actually – I think that exactly gets to the crux of the issue. I think that's the thing is that where the patriotic socialists – uh, to grant them their their, their chosen name, uh, find an appeal. I think is precisely in their criticism at the level of rhetoric. You know, if where they right, are willing right. to say, um, "Are you revolutionary enough to use what moves people most?" Uh, to quote Reds, um, yeah. And right. any true revolutionary should say, "Yes, yes, I am. I am willing to calibrate." the way I talk about things and the way I present myself based on the predispositions of the people that I'm interacting with. My God, of course. But the, the, the problem that these idiots uh, then 
uh, encounter is they then take that and make it turn it, transform it into this has to transform our substantive politics. And so therefore we have to be against Starbucks unions, uh, against immigration and against, um, uh, trans rights. Right. Um, because quote unquote, normal, normal, uh, working class Americans are weirded out by these things or whatever. Um, instead of recognizing like it's sort of it's sort of like saying you know there is a problem with the liberal the radical liberals who take racism to be um you know an essential feature of political life and human existence that we have to center our lives around and if you are white you have to center your life around white guilt that is a thing that should be critiqued. That should be criticized. Right. Yes. That is Absolutely. not useful. It is not helpful. It turns people off and it doesn't get us anywhere. It is a defeatist uh, a politics of defeat. Um, Inherent is that is the, is the idea that you can't change it. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. but that, 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 that criticism does not mean that racism is not real and it is not a <laughs> persistent structural problem that has to be confronted and combated in our world that we encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's like the, that, that's the, the function, I mean, that's functionally what we're talking about here, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like Go the ahead. argument around critical race theory about, uh, with both sides misunderstanding what it actually is. Yeah. Um, where like uh, on on the left, people who rightfully oppose conservatives thinking that teaching people about racism is uh, anti-American, that will wholeheartedly defend critical race theory without understanding that inherent within critical race theory is this idea that racism is uh, so deeply ingrained into the fabric of the nation that there's nothing we can really do about it. Yeah. I know that's not – it's more complicated than that, but that is like one inherent flaw within it. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, in, in that instance, like both fucking sides of this are just perpetuating, uh, a narrative that is, makes sure that nothing ever changes. Right. I mean, like depending on which, which literature I am presently contending with, my position changes a little bit because this, I mean, what has become the standard for the left is insufferable. So I'm like, oh, I guess the patriotic socialists are better. But then they're really not. No, <laughs> not at all. Like especially is, when you look at has and the the yeah. infrared people, like so and Caleb Mobb, which I will point out that uh, they're probably receiving Russian money. <laughs> yeah, like not as a conspiracy theory. I, I believe like Caleb Maupin's like a regular contributor to Russia Today, and uh, I, I've heard several people on the left who who know their shit point out that like these uh, these movements have in the past received Russian money. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Almost I don't certainly AstroTurf. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think it's controversial. I look uh, in order to guard ourselves against uh, liability for defamation or something like that. We'll say, we can say that this is uh, speculation uh, on our part. We don't have any right. facts uh, to back this up that aren't uh, public knowledge, but I don't think it's, uh, but my speculation is that I don't think it's controversial or, uh, hard, hard to come to the conclusion that they are absolutely astro- astroturfed by like, you know, Russian money, uh, or something else or whatever. But I mean, it's exactly the sort of thing that the U S does in other countries. And it's just, you know, it's, it's what 
other, you know, uh, rival powers do in the U.S. And it's, you know, yeah. this is how this works, you know. In the court of publica fama, they are guilty. Right. But also like, you know, so all of that's true. But I also think that like Caleb Maupin and people like him are um, fairly easy to tilt at. Just right. Just easy, like, yeah. In in the exact same way that the the people who are like a barely even displaying human uh, human behaviors on a DSA <laughs> video, they're also very easy to criticize. So I would like to I would like to say a pox on both their houses, but also acknowledge that everyone else's houses still exist. Yes. Mm. So like right. You it's, know, it's like, like one- what we talked about in the uh, the last video that we did with Varn on. Uh, neo-feudalism it's like it's really easy to just make fun of the dumbest version of the thing you disagree with what we really need to do is uh engage with the best version of something in order to steel man yeah engage with the steel man version and not the strong man yeah yeah so like you know it is the case that like you know if you look back well (laughs) i guess the first thing is if you think and i think you should think this but if you think that uh if the United States has a revolutionary tradition, and then you can look back to like Thomas Paine or Frederick Douglass, you know, to, all the way to the Socialist Party or the Communist Party through Martin Luther King, and you could say, you know what? Ever since we have adopted the formal, like, vehemently anti-patriotic position, we haven't mattered very much, and I think that's true. I just, mm-hmm. and we've already said that, like, going hard in the other direction is also a problem. So I, you know, I don't really know how much more there is to say about that. But, you know, essentially patri- patriotism or like the absence of an anti-patriotism has always been a part of the left. And then the new left changed that. And the, we've really been marginal ever since. So like, you know, then I, then I wrote this note here. It's a, uh, the Patsock types went hard the other way and are equally silly. So, yeah, whatever. Pictures of Eugene Debs, American flags, uh, Martin Luther King, etc. That's all true. But also, you know what else is true is also that like the Border Patrol is the worst thing that I can think of. The military has mm-hmm. not done a good thing since overthrowing slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, well, I was going to, uh, I suppose. So like uh, in, in going through the pre- preparatory materials and, and reading things from both sides on this, uh, the thing that was so frustrating to me, it was uh, just, you know, every time I'd read one article, I'd be like, no, it's so dumb and wrong. <laughs> uh, and then I would read the uh, article from the other side showing why that other side was dumb and wrong. And be like, that is so dumb and wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, cause like for it's example, actually very hard to find a thing that was not dumb and wrong yeah. on this topic. Yeah. Um, well, I shouldn't say hard. I should say, uh, it is, has not yet been done. Yeah. We didn't yeah. find anything that wasn't dumb and wrong. I don't, I don't think we did. Yeah. Cause there was yeah. the one, uh, the, um, very well researched and documented, um, thoroughly documented uh um uh, i think it was a cb cpgb article or whatever or or morning star or whatever it was but it was a writing from the uh, article published in the british communist yeah uh, yeah. paper arguing against patriotic communism and his argument entirely was look uh the entire history of british communism has had a problem with uh, members and people who held chauvinistic ideas. See, this is bad. Well, and the things that weren't bad were just purely emotional. Yeah. Like, right, right. Yeah. And exactly. And it's, it's, and it's like, it's, it seems like, um, 
either side of this, this whole thing is like refusing to engage with the, um, refusing to place the argument on the level of affect and rhetoric where it rightly yeah. belongs and, and, and instead trying to entrench the argument at the level of, uh, you know, political analysis or, or, you know, social analysis. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, so I think where the anti position gets it right is in recognizing that, that in the same way that the field sisters point out that racism or sorry, that race is constituted in racism in the same way, the nation state is constituted in, uh, imperialism and, you cannot extricate the two things from each other. So long as one exists, so does the other. They, the, the thing imperialism and racism are what constitute respectively the nation and race. Um, and as soon as you start talking about patriotic communism in, uh, in the first the imperialist first world, you start getting into real murky territory with that as a structural, um, you know, a politically constitutive subject, but if <laughs> at the same time, the patriotic socialists, uh, are right to point out that nearly every single proletarian and, um, what do you call it? Um, the criminals and what? Oh, the, oh, the, oh, the lumpen lumpen proletariat. Proletariat. thank you. The proletarians and lumpen proletarians almost to a person uniformly have an intuitive sense and a cultivated but intuitive sense of pride in in nationhood. And I think it comes from especially when you're, you know, dispossessed, dejected, uh, exploited and stepped upon and, and, and you don't have a lot to uh, feel good about yourself. You cling to the things that are given to you that right. you were told you should be proud of. This is a good thing. This is yeah. part of who you are and it's a good thing. People are going to cling to that even more. And if you want to connect with these people, you have to start there. You can't walk up to them burning a, or waving a burning flag in their face and spit on them because uh, they haven't uh, al- already cultivated the right affective, you know, mental state, uh, uh, in in uh, how they you know emotionally respond to the sight of an American flag, you know it's it, 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 we we have to like stop making politics about how people feel in their hearts when they uh, see s- certain stimulus. Politics is mm-hmm. about substantive political positions. No, it's about enjoyment. Response. <laughs> It's the enjoyment you get out of owning people on the internet and pissing people off by doing stuff in public, right? That's exactly (laughs) right. Well, so that that also brings up another another very important question because I think that there is a way in which you could just take the right position, which is kind of to to not engage with this entire debate, whatever. And you you can go to the day without an immigrant demonstration and just acknowledge and just accept that a. It's like 80% American flags and then 20%, you know, Argentinian, Honduran, Uruguayan flags, et cetera. And just oh, acknowledge Move on. Right. <laughs> but then you, you know, amongst your friends, you could, you could then be like, look at all those fucking people with all their stupid 
filthy rags representing fake lines on a continent, whatever. And I think that that's also unhelpful. Like, I think, you know, you can acknowledge that to be propagandist enough to utilize what actually, you know, what moves people most to be effective, to be swimming with the stream is valuable and still take an attitude that's, um, take a position that's, uh, basically amounts to like wishing that everybody else caught up to you. Cause I think that that kind of, um, that sort of, uh, that arrogance and that the way that, you know, you can look down on people, it shows through in other ways. Like you can't lie to people or pretend to have a position you don't have. So I guess the real question is like taking the, the line of the communist party of great Britain, um, you know, as, as a get, I guess, uh, Taking taking that as a, you know, whatever as a point. One of our lines of demarcation, right? Yeah, the less dumb version of social patriotism. Yeah, they would say, and they do say that um, there's no contradiction between patriotism and socialism. You know that uh, an outright dismissal of patriotism stems from a lack of class analysis, which fails to discern the difference between the ruling class. And, and it's nationalism and the, the history of aspirations of the working class. So like if we can acknowledge that there's the two sides in this largely internet debate are largely um, insufferable and, and we'd rather just not engage. What do we then make of a, uh, of this kind of claim? Cause that's a, that's a fairly sophisticated, uh, whatever that, that deserves to be taken seriously. The idea that, um, a dismissal of patriotism stems from a lack of class analysis. I mean, I would say that's fairly accurate, right? Like dismissing the idea of national pride uh, or of nations in general um, is not only a sort of like a failure of class analysis, but a failure of like reality analysis, <laughs> right? Because like... Yeah. When we talk about nations, like <clears throat> the concept of nation state, yes, it's a relatively recent invention, but it is one that's enduring. Uh, Very. It's and, probably the, the primary obstacle to, um, you know, m- moving history forward. Yeah. And, but the concept of the nation, of the group of culturally and linguistically similar people is much, much, much older than the early modern period. Um and I know we said that there's nothing good on this on this subject uh, that has been written, but that's not true. You could read the question of nationalities and social democracy by Otto Bauer, right? Oh, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was written when, like, uh, in the? I think it was written um, pre World War One. Yeah, pre World War One. Okay, yeah. Uh, but like dealing with the concept of the nation and people's identity uh, within that that nation. Uh, is something that we have to deal with, right? Now, when it comes to the United States, like we've got a very, very uh, well, okay, just like anywhere else, patriotism in the United States is ingrained from birth, right? We, uh, it, it is something that is latent in, uh, in the way we process the world. And for a lot of leftists who are just, uh, pure emotivists, the only way to deal with the, that patriotism or the, the patriotism that they were raised with is to purely reject it and then go burn a flag and say death to America or whatever. That is the wrong way to deal with it. And of course, there's the other way, which is the, the patriotic socialism way that we've been talking about. And um, the, the task is, is to find the, 
the dialectical <laughs> synthesis of these two opposite positions, right? Because we have to be able to talk to people who are motivated by pride in their their own people. Uh, we have to be able to engage with them in a way that's not cynical and dishonest, like the way that the Communist Party did in Germany, right. uh, trying to court people who were drawn to the National Socialists by flip-flopping between positions of, oh, actually, we are nationalists. Uh, we're more nationalists than the nationalists are because we don't <laughs> kowtow to the French, you know, stuff like that. Um, because, like, the the dweebs on the, the right side of this argument are correct in that, like, patriotism has been a component to building socialism everywhere that it's actually been tried. And yeah. uh, th- there's no way of, like, ignoring that. But that does stem from making necessity a virtue, making the necessity of uh, the transition from the war for for time to the war for space into a necessity. Right. The failure of the Russian yeah. Revolution, the triumph of the bureaucratic uh, centralization under Stalinism and socialism in one country uh, as a sort of stopgap measure to hold on to what has had been gained by the revolution mm-hmm. – Turning that into a virtue through Stalinism is what results in that. There was a better way to do this. I promise you. Yeah. And it probably looks something like a federation of uh, national entities and uh, customs unions and an eventual transition towards a completely borderless and stateless society. But it, yeah. I've always thought – I've always wondered what, what it would have looked like if the common turn was an actually like representative body of all the constituent nations within it. Uh, rather rather than being uh you know the a tool for implementing the foreign policy interests of the USSR so it was like a a, a democratic institution where like per you get more representation per population per person in the population that you have in the common turn <laughs> then the common turn could be an actual democratic body representing a, 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 an alliance of soviet uh, or socialist nations, yeah, uh, which could have free trade agreements and have like uh, human-centered globalization <laughs> between them that would give them economic advantages over the West, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, that actually seems like a very good thing to do. So wasn't that supposedly like, what the common form was supposed to be? Um, sort of, yeah, sort of, but yeah. with a uh, lower aspirations. Yeah. Anyway, that's a totally a, a totally pie in the sky sort of utopian. I wish things had been better in the past. Uh, that's not how things developed, and and for you know for a reason. Um, uh, you know uh, what we saw exist in the past was um, the only things that worked, the only things that stuck around. The the more utopian uh, ideas about how things should be were the things that got crushed and defeated. So um, you know you have to take that in stride with anything that we're trying to construct in the future we have to recognize that yeah out of what we read i think that there are uh the the same types of uh arguments of on the on the left side of the argument on the the more internationalist side that there's the the ones that are worth engaging with and then the ones that are too stupid to to really talk about i don't think it would be worth um spending any time on the idea that uh Patriotic socialism is like a fascist wrecking tendency. No, but I do think that there's a, you know, what in the Jacobin article, the democratic socialism must be internationalist. There is something to examine and to, and to contend with what, what they call the moral case for a cosmopolitan socialism. Okay. 
basically that you know that socialism has to embrace the universal and humanistic impulse because that's really what socialism is yes any amount of concessions to to this patriotic sentiment is the first step towards walling ourselves off and not creating national institutions and i guess actually if you look at the uh, the last century the borders between say um the soviet union and china for example that's a that's a pretty good argument that like you know they fought border conflicts right because you would you would think that they wouldn't have those anymore but instead they did from berlin to pyongyang down to hanoi there should have been a single common market etc right so i guess i i do i do think that there's something worth you know spending some time on this idea that like a uh, uh, you have to i mean essentially it's you have to think globally and you also have to act globally and that's if you think about like the the kind of position that we all had for the default position that we all had in the ISO for a very long time was you have to have an international revolution. You know, socialism in one country mm-hmm. doesn't work. So we've already kind of spent some time on the idea of socialism in one country, but just to do the anti-patriotic socialist arguments, um, some justice, what do we think about this moral case for cosmopolitan socialism? I mean, on its face, it's absolutely correct, right? Yeah. But like in, in a world where the, the concept, the, enduring and incredibly uh, potent concept of the nation didn't exist, then we could just say that and then uh, act on that idea. But ideas right. don't change the world without the material conditions supporting them, right? right? Oh, wow. You should make some kind of ism out of that and it should maybe be <laughs> dialectical. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's absolutely correct, right? Like uh, what the what drives people to fight for socialism is at least partially the brotherhood of humankind, right? And the the idea of creating a world that is just for all and not just for the people in your own country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like, like you mentioned the Sino-Soviet split, right? Yeah. Which like Maoism from its inception was incredibly nationalistic. Uh, purposely, oh, yeah. purposely nationalistic, and part of that was because of how China had been divided up between the Western powers and Japan, and then uh, oppressed and invaded and uh, stomped on, and that nationalism was necessary to rally the the peasantry uh, to to fight against these invaders. Mm-hmm. And that nationalism carried forward into the production of a new society and became an incredibly important part of it, especially when you take the idea of China as a proletarian nation that is like uh, being stepped on even by its allies like the Soviet Union, um, which is a fair criticism. It absolutely was. Uh, the Stalin's the, the Stalin's record in China is abysmal. And it definitely fostered the split. And that, I think, stems from the idea that Stalin saw China as subordinate to the Soviet Union and not Mm -hmm. as like a country or another region full of fellow proletarians that needed to be integrated into like the socialist. Right. Yeah. uh, International socialist project. International socialist bloc. Right. So the problems with that stem from the problems with that go back to the rise of Stalinism and all of its uh, constitutive uh, elements, socialism in one country, like the, the rule of uh, 
party police apparatus, the rule of the police apparatus over the party and the rule of that same police apparatus over other parties and other countries, right? Right. That's that's all part right. of this this if we didn't have Stalinism to contend with, this conversation would probably be a lot easier. Right. Well, the pro- conversation probably wouldn't even be happening, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I yeah. I, I think the the phenomenon uh, of being a problem, um, this 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 dynamic of the pull of uh, first world nationalism on the proletarian movement versus uh, anti imperialism or whatever internationalism. Uh, existed long before Stalin was ever born. Um, William Morris uh, w- uh, was, you know, a foundational figure in uh, in uh, British uh, in the British Marxist uh, tradition. And one of the things that he wrote about later in his life, when he died in the 1890s, uh, was um, what he saw happening in uh, the British workers' movement was. Um, uh, he worried that capitalism would be able to patch itself together and, and, you know, uh, continue on, on the basis of, uh, imperialism, uh, being able to extract resources and find new markets in the third world, allowing, uh, a, uh, an amelioration of the, do- uh, the domestic proletarian, uh, work, uh, living standards and conditions, uh, which then de-revolutionizes, uh, the domestic proletarian movement and it's a legitimate he worry split, and he split with the uh the the parliamentarian marxists uh, uh wing of the uh organization that he was in on the question of uh imperialism because he he understood the role that imperialism plays in um undermining the possibility of the uh, uh the um the possibility of ending capitalism and uh, overcoming it uh, in in uh, in the form of world communism, and right. he also understood the very real appeal that actually existed within the proletarian, the actually existing proletarian movement in the first world. Of hey, you know, I've I've got a, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Um, if I'm able to slightly improve my condition, I can, you know, limp on and be okay rather than holding out for this utopian ideal of international communism. You know, uh, that's, I, it, that has a very strong appeal to a lot of regular working people. Um, and so that like that dynamic and that tension existed, that's a real material condition that exists in the proletarian, um, uh, and, you know, in, in the, in the world that, uh, that's constructed by capitalism, uh, that we have to contend with, and that would have existed whether, um, Stalin ever came about or not, you know, Stalin was a yeah. response to that. Reality. Right. Yeah. I guess that's a sure, good point. Sure. That actually, so then that leads to, um, to at least to another question then, which is there's, there's a version of a position that a person can take, which is like, oh yeah, patriotism is bad. It's, it's, but for, a it's to be excused when it comes to oppressed nations. So like the patriotism that comes as a way of galvanizing anti-imperial sentiment mm-hmm. is to be celebrated and is to be supported and propped up. But national pride of any kind, um, when it comes to like the oppressor nation, that's unacceptable. So like Irish uh, patriotism is good. English national chauvinism is bad. I personally feel like that's still too wooden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. There, there's nuance that is required there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not English national chauvinism is bad. Right. Right. But like 
but like if you are english that doesn't mean you have to like fucking go away you know yeah, yeah. exactly and it doesn't i think that this is kind of circles back to how i sort of posed it early is early on is uh, you know appealing to uh white guilt like we don't have to yeah, call on everyone yeah. to walk around feeling shitty about themselves in order to recognize that uh english english chauvinism uh is a politically cons- constitutively bad thing that we should uh, oppose people can still like take pride in who they are and their history and their culture and their and you know where they come from and their sense of rootedness um without uh we don't have to call on people to feel bad about themselves in order or to, to, to like actively a, uh, oppose themselves policy. right yeah like it should be fairly easy and i think it was at one point to just like say um you know that france and germany are nations and also the people in those nations are our brothers and they should stop murdering each other that was a fairly simple position i think to take Right, right. Right. Exactly. And it's also uh, possible to go too far in the uh, identitarian, you know, uh, third world nationalist position of like uh, taking, um, um, you know, racial oppression or national oppression as being too sen- uh, foundational to existence and, uh, and um, you know, refusing to uh, organize uh, interracially and, and, and whatever else. Like uh, these can – Things can be can undermine, uh, um, you know, the the ultimate project as much as the well, maybe not as much, but these things can be taken to an extent where, uh, uh, to an extent, I where think they as much, yeah. yeah, I think as much. Like I think, um, if you look around, like just taking the United States today, the dominant uh, position on the left is that, you know, whatever is normal that you, whatever, and it's not just patriotism; it's like the nation or religion or marriage or whatever things that are normal, those have to be entirely beaten out of someone's head before they can be a part of the left. Right. And I think that by, by people who consider themselves Marxists, like I understand like shit lib anarchists saying that, but (laughs) well, right. And so that actually leads to the last thing that I have, which is um, I just put a question. It says globalism versus internationalism. And then a question mark. Cause I think that, uh, the uh, what what Otto Bauer calls the uh, naive bourgeois, the naive cosmopolitanism of the bourgeoisie is really taken as synonymous with internationalism. Yes, for but the like, American left or the international yeah. left, really. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, the difference I think is pretty profound because if the only dichotomy was between you know nationalism and globalism. I think I would be on the side of nationalism, but I would just try to be nice about it. So I'm really lucky that that's not, <laughs> luckily that's not the only dichotomy. That's not the only, right. uh, we don't live in a bipolar world. We actually live in a world which is a, oh, it's like, you know, if there's, if there's a force and there's an opposite force and they clash and the synthesis of those two things, what, what should we call that? <laughs> Multipolarity. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We are not Duganists on this podcast. <laughs> not, actually, yeah, not even a little bit. Because in fact, Dugan, we read that book Dugan's and talked writing about how dumb really it was. Bad. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's extremely dumb. <laughs> yeah. um, but internationalism it implies, you know, that the internationalism is the uh, is the interplay between nationalisms or between nation, national projects. Right, right. Like um, 
the bourgeois cosmopolitanism or uh, as the right wing scare word globalism, right, is absolutely 100 percent a destructive project that does very little other than uh, extract resources from one part of the world so that people in another part of world uh, the world could become rich. The prop up the bourgeoisie in places where extraction is done, uh, prop up military dictatorships that keep stability, uh, destroy the fucking planet with the waste that is created th- uh, from this global system of consumption. Like globalism as, as, a, uh, as it is a, in practice is absolutely a bad thing. Does yeah. not mean that nationalism is the is the counter to it, um, but yeah, like the idea that like somehow NATO or the UN or the European <laughs> Union are good because they're fostering comp- uh, cooperation between nations. I is, mean, that is a position that a lot of people do take. It yeah, is a position is. that a lot of people on the left take. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. including Marxists. Like mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of our former- is bad, therefore, interna- institutions of internationalism are good. <laughs> Ergo. Yes. Yeah. Well, a lot of our former comrades in the ISO take that position. Yeah. Uh, you know, which I think is just about as shit lib as you can possibly get is to take mm-hmm. that position. Yeah. Honestly, I, I really, I'm not more disgusted with anyone than the people who take that position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, worst people, worst fucking people. Yeah. I think primarily because they're the most, um, they've got the most sway, you know? That's like, yeah. that is the main position yeah. of the left. Um, and that's what makes it so despicable. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that's, that's, <laughs> that is the problem right now. You know, yeah, it's, it's one easy could to imagine address- a, one could imagine a, um, um, uh, a world of say, uh, pre Jim Crow, uh, America where, you know, white chauvinism was like the main problem, something like right. that. Right. You know, but, but that's not the world we currently live in. Right. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like that's the world that the, a lot of people like want desperately to live in, yeah. and it's that's it's a worse version of things. I don't know why anyone would want that. I was going to say it's easier to to appeal to people if you're just dressing up the uh, the ruling ideas of society in like radical language, right? You don't have to take crazy positions. You can still just be for the status quo, but you could dress it up in socialist language. Right. Which was, I sort of think that that was the whole project of the ISO, like in its yeah. later in its later years. I mean, in retrospect, I agree entirely, and probably for the entire time, even though it it kind of pains me to admit it, yeah. you know, because because that basically amounts to like that really puts a question mark over you know half of my life. Yeah. yeah. But also, it just shows how important it is to get this, you know, to get things correctly, to get them right, yeah. and to have discussions about shit like this. Yeah, exactly. Dumb. So, shit. like, <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, yeah, to clarify the dumb shit. Yes, right. Because the easiest thing in the world would just be to not have this conversation, yeah. right? <laughs> Which was my position before we started having this conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I was talking to to my wife before we recorded this, and I was like, "I'm really not looking forward to this discussion." And she's like, "Why not?" Is like, uh, it's it's a concept that uh, it's a it's about something that I think is dumb, and I really just don't know how much I'm going to have to say about it. 
Yeah. And uh, Brittany was like, has, has Jason just kind of run out of good ideas for podcasts? And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, no, he's just been thinking about this a lot more than us. So I'm sure that he's got like things to say about it. But like, I really just don't. Turns out I do. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, basically it just comes down to like, you know, it's what I said before is just, I, I didn't want to talk about it either. And I don't like the fact that it's, I'm probably going to talk about it for a while to come, but it yeah. is happening. You know, this is a discourse and uh, it's so lamentable. There's like, yeah. to take up a position on either side seems like a intellectually debasing. Yeah. So at, at least, at least now I kind of feel like there, the, the contours of a, of a, whatever, <laughs> of a third position of a third camp. <laughs> Oh no! Um, whatever, but the contours of a position worth taking up are are kind of more clear now, and that's yeah. all that the point of this really even was. Mm-hmm. Basically, well, what I've taken away from this is that if you don't show up to your job on the Fourth of July, uh, break in and start working, then you're a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> if you take any time off for the Fourth of July, you're a, you're a colonizer. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, uh, so I'm gonna barbecue I, on the Fourth of July. Hell yeah! Um, I, I think that um, I think before the rise of the patriotic left, um, I, I think that it was an easier position to. Well, maybe it's not easier. Uh, how do you? How, what am I trying to say? How do you say it? Um, there was a position that could have could be argued for that was uh, that could be taken without it being conflated with outright. Nazism, um, uh, that was a, a, a way of pushing back on the flag burning, um, new left, you know, uh, st- uh, student radical based new left that was saying, Hey guys, how about we stop trying, uh, to be anti-popular and instead right. try to focus on, uh, appealing to people where they are, which means meeting people, uh, uh, at their, uh, deeply held sense of patriotism, um, and, uh, recognizing that if there is to be a revolution, it will be fought by a majority of working people who think that they are defending their country. Right. Um, uh, you could make that argument before, but then the rise of patriotic socialism, um, Made, complicated that so much more because the second you start making that argument, everybody immediately says, "Oh, you're, you're, you know, MAGA communist or or whatever those morons uh, are doing over there." Uh, and so now we have to, you know, differentiate ourselves from from both camps uh, and, be, and make a much more careful argument, which makes it harder to do in a, in a world of sound bites and bumper stickers uh, and, and decreasing media interest and yeah. in nuance. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like not just a decreasing interest; it's like a hostility to the idea that anything could ever just be some a little bit of something and a little bit of something else. <laughs> really, the the problem it's and I've said this before. I'm probably going to say every time we ever have a discussion like this is the lack, the absence of dialectical thinking. Yeah. Just the the pure absence of dialectical thinking. Right. The school of the school of rhetoric has entirely taken over the the philosophy of the left whatever we're supposed to be uh rendering the world more intelligible that's the entire purpose that's why we are who we are right instead this is this is an argument that right wingers make that is absolutely correct and it's something oh, no. that we, sh- it, we should internalize is that 
leftists are ruled by emotion. We're emotivists. We yeah. we yeah. react to things emotionally. We come up with the most inflammatory uh, responses to everything um, in order to piss the people that we don't like off. And that's like currency. Uh, how how bad did you piss off the people that you don't like? And do you feel good about it? Okay, let's keep doing that then. And it's it's just pure reaction on emotion. And of course, the right does this too. I'm not saying that they don't. Yeah, but the, but the difference is that I'm happy to let them do that. Yeah, I, I, I'm criticizing my side. Yeah, I'm happy to let them throw temper tantrums like fucking stupid babies, but we shouldn't be doing that. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but the thing is, though, I, is that there's the, there is a deep anti-intellectualism on the left. And by trying to bring things up and to talk about them, what you're doing is you're engaging in academic you know, twaddle and you should be like just brushed aside because what it really matters is doing the work, you know? Right. No matter what the work is. Yeah. It just got to be doing the work. And there's also a, a subcultural uh, view of the left. Like we're all punk rockers in the eighties and anybody that tries to come in better not have any patches of any mainstream bands on their fucking jacket. Oh, yeah. Otherwise they, it's like, what, you know, I mean, it's like, like, like we were in the nineties. If like you listened to green day, you were like, Oh, that's like a poser band, which I came around on green day. I actually really liked their first three or four albums, like a lot, but like, uh, you know, that's the way it was back then. It's like if a band gets a video on MTV, they're automatically posers and people that listen to them and people that got into punk rock through that fucking video that was on MTV or whatever, they're posers. And that's how the left deals with people that don't necessarily, that are coming into the movement. It's like, you have to have this, this, I, I, I've constructed a list of shibboleths for you and, uh, you <laughs> must say all of them in order to be considered part of the left. And of course, they're all fucking based on liberal positions. Well, and the other thing is that even once you do that, you're not like beyond question. Just now the next version of being under scrutiny applies. You know, you're never ever beyond question. Q, uh, evergreen comparison to American Puritanism. (laughs) Well, actually, yeah. My favorite thing about the, uh, that video that we watched, I mean, there are actually a couple of things, you know, if I could divorce them from the video, then they would be good. Yeah. But, uh. I think probably the single best thing was that I forget who it was. The person doing the narration referred uh, very casually to the Calvinist left and he didn't explain it at all. He just said, but the Calvinist left. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a really right. good term. <laughs> that's actually, that's an accurate s- slander, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. It's my favorite part worst of it. Person and, you know, makes a good point meme. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite part of the video was how uh, there were, I think, three uh, thinkers that were cited by name and quoted. Uh, two of them were Lenin and Mao, and the third one was Heidegger. Heidegger, to refer yeah. To <laughs> historical design. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. I wonder oh, yeah. if you know a sense of rootedness has something to <laughs> that. Would there was not an unintentional choice to uh, uh, you know right. sink yeah. that in there because. He knew that would be inflammatory and drive, uh, you know, uh, controversy. That's why it's in there. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why we watched it, you know. Also, um, Duganists or Dugan is heavily influenced by Heidegger and includes his concept of Dasein as like uh, the basis for identity. Um, uh, 
in in the fourth political theory or whatever, as opposed to like uh, the liberal concept of the individual, the fascist concept of the nation, or the uh, communist concept of the proletariat. You know. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> so the, I, I, the only huh, other so thing I re- he's, that I really actually want to think about that more. Wow, I had never actually encountered that before. Along with his the the usage of the word multipolarity, which is like not always like a uh, d- directly related to Duganism, you know? Right. Right. But exactly. When they use it, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Basically, on this episode, what we've done so far is do what we always do whenever we talk about something and talk about how there's a better way to talk about it. But then we didn't tell anybody what that better way to talk about it was. Hmm. I kind of feel like Um, we did that. Yeah, I mean, we did do that. But also, like, we have done a a couple of episodes about the concepts of the Republic. And uh, I don't know. There's two of them. I can't remember what they were off the top of my head. Let America be America again for once. And the other one, I don't remember, but where we talked about the idea of socialist republicanism. Yeah. um, That's like the cosmonaut guys. They talk a lot about that. I think that the cosmonaut guys probably have like the better, more nuanced position on this thing uh, that we were trying to, to get down to. Um, And yeah, I think that like the way that we should, look at the cause, look at the idea of social patriotism as sort of like just a necessary thing to grapple with. You know, this is reality. Uh, yeah. This is like, of course, we advocate for the universal brotherhood of all humankind. Absolutely. Right. And we are internationalists, right? But we are internationalists who do not ignore the stark reality of the deeply ingrained existence of of the nation and it's something that we're going to have to deal with. And that means not burning a flag in people's faces and not pretending like we could say death to America and have any kind of like resonance whatsoever. The people that we wish to organize. Right. Yeah. Nations just do exist. So like, I don't know, such hostility to these patriotic sentiments that people have is counterproductive. Um, you know, to, and also to think of the socialist project as the next stage of American democracy just seems so practical. I can't, I just, I really, I almost just can't really get my head around being opposed to it. So yeah, we don't need to be patriots. We don't need to be patriotic socialists, whatever. But we actually, and we absolutely must not be opposed to the patriotism of the average person. We should just, you know, we should appeal to it. Or at the very least, we should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs>